I appreciate you uh, this morning, and thank you for letting me share with you. Um, it's always my pleasure. It's a real honor. We're looking again at 2 Corinthians chapter 13. We'll be finishing up the book probably next week. Um, and I've been really pokey going through it, but that will be over, I guess it's been over a year. And uh, But we'll, we'll uh, try to our best to finish up next week. But we're looking here at... Uh, Chap, just want to look at the, uh, I guess you'd say, uh, kind of like the final closing that Paul gives in, in, in 2 Corinthians. And it, it really runs from chapter 12, verse 19, down to chapter uh, 13, verse 10. But we'll be looking at, at, at 13, uh, verse 7 to 10 this morning. We'll start by reading that, 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 7 to 10. It says, now I pray to God that you do no evil, not that we should appear approved, but that ye should do that which is honest, even though we be as reprobates. For we can do nothing against the truth, but for the truth, for we are glad when we're weak, and ye are strong. This, this, is also, uh, we, this also we wish, even your perfection, Therefore, I write these things being absent, lest being present, I should use sharpness according to the power which the Lord has given me to edification and not to destruction. So as we've been looking at, the, uh, at this portion of the scripture, this closing, it really is, it, uh, we, we did it, we've done it under uh, John MacArthur's um, study on on second corinthians using his book as the outline and he has this uh, section uh, as as has it titled as the concerns of a faithful pastor these, these were concerns on paul's heart as pastor of that church and these would be uh, equally uh, concerns of should be a concerns of every every pastor's heart and way back in chapter 12, Paul began to unload the things that were on his heart and, and uh, something he's done all through the book, really, but there's a kind of a summary of the matters and, and, and that concern him as a, as a faithful pastor. And, and, and he used the primary issue with him was noted at the end of verse 19 there in chapter 12. It's for the, he was for the edifying of the people or, or building up. So that was what he was concerned about. And it's repeated at, at the end of the verse of chapter 10 uh, the, for the edification. His, that's what he's about, the building up of the church, not the tearing down. So if he was to use the rod, it would be for edification. You know, this is for your good, son. You know, I've heard that before, but this, <laughs> it's true. But, you know, this, this section, it, it's really the middle about all, all, uh, all pastor concern for upbuilding of his people and and. And they are responsible for what's called the edifying of the saints, uh, the building up of the saints. Their, their responsibility is the nurturing of believers uh, up to the point of maturity. And, and, and in that sense, they are not unlike a parent, a pastor isn't, not unlike a father. And in the New Testament, which is rich with images and metaphors to describe and define the duties and obligations, responsibilities of pastors, pastors are, are identified a number of ways by a number of pictures. Uh, they're, they're leaders, they're overseers, they're shepherds, they're teachers, they're guides, they're heralds, they're warners, they're servants, comforters, and examples. 
And when you think about it, it's precisely what parents are. No human image is as complete in pulling all those functions together as the image of parents. And, and uh, parents are also leaders and overseers and shepherds and teachers and guides and heralds and warners and servants and comforters and examples. And it's a, there's a real parallel there between the pastor's work with, with, with the church and the parents' work with their children. Um, pastors are like parents in a sense. They're, they're sort of a composite father and mother. It's kind of fits in today's culture. What, what are you? I don't know yet. Non-binary, whatever that means. But that's not that way. I'm sorry, I couldn't help. Uh, you know, you know, it's like a father and mother of their family, you know, which is a church. The church is a pastor's family. And Paul understood that. And back in chapter 12, verse 14, uh, Paul said that here he's, he's here for the third time, coming for the third time, and I'm ready to come to you. I won't be a burden to you for I don't seek what is yours. I'm not looking for to take your belongings. But, but you, um, for children, not, not, you're, you're not responsible. He says children are not responsible to save up for the parents, but the, you know, the parents care for the children is the way it's supposed to be. And, and back in his first letter, in 1 Corinthians 4, 14, he said, I don't write these things to shame you, but to admonish you as my beloved children. And then in verse 15, he says, if you were, if you have, if you have even if you have, were to have countless tutors in Christ, of all kinds of people instructing you, which we praise the Lord for. And we just spent a, a couple of days with uh, Andrews and Genesis ministry, but the, my brothers and sisters in the church, and it was really encouraging to see over, over 1,500 people who are Bible school soul winners. I mean, God's not through with America. I'm coming out of that, I'm just really pumped up about that. But I won't dabble with that. I'm sorry, I'm do a Sunday school lesson. Uh, but if you have countless tutors in Christ, all kinds of people instructing you, yet you would not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, he says, I became your father through the gospel. And, and there again, he, he uses a, par, a parental model to define his relationship to the church. But nowhere in the, in, in the par, is the parallel more clearly laid out. I don't think that if you, if you, were, you wanted to turn back to 1 Thessalonians uh, chapter 2, verse 7 to 11. In 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 7 to 11, Paul, uh, not really off text too much, it's still about faithful uh, pastors. Some, you, know, you treat that in a passage here. But uh, in you know, there in, in chapter 2, verse 7, you read, you know, Paul is defining the relationship to the Thessalonian church. He says, we, we prove to be gentle among you as a nursing mother tenderly cares for her own children. Having thus a fond affection for you, we're well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives because you had become very dear to us. If you recall, brethren, our labor and hardship and how working night and day and so as not to be a burden to any of you, uh, of you we proclaim to you the gospel of God, your witnesses and so is God, how devoutly and uprightly and blamelessly we behave toward you, you believers, just as, as you know how we were exhorting and encouraging and imploring each one of you as, as a father would of his own children so that you may walk in a manner worthy of the God who, who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. And there in verse 7, Paul identifies himself like a mother. He said, a, nur a nursing, we're nursing you. And, and uh, I'm sorry. Um, and, and there he also says in verse 11, you know, in verse 7, he's a mother, he nurses, but verse, verse 11, he's a father. And, and there are a number of characteristics surrounding the picture of a mother, and he talks about being gentle, being affectionate, being sacrificial, being loving, laboring, toiling night and day, as mothers do, and ring my wife, poor wife, with our six kids, 
Uh, and so once you always had a kid hanging on her, no matter what, or two. Have one here and have one hanging on her, her dress. Um, good mother, though. Praise the Lord. I've raised six of our, my children. I praise God for her. Um, I'm sorry. I'm getting off text again. But mothers, you know, as mothers do in the rearing of precious children, and when, when it comes to fathers, he, he ties around the concept of things like being devout and just and blameless and exemplary and exhorting and imploring, which is another word for commanding. Uh, parental responsibility is all designed to produce what is in verse 12, a child who walks in a manner worthy of the God who's called him into his kingdom and glory. And it's very much a, a, a pastoral role. And, and uh, pastors, they're like mothers. They sense that, that uh, they, you know, they, 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 they come to their people as a gentle, affectionate, sacrificial, loving, laboring toiling night and day on their on, on our behalf and, and they come as also as fathers who are who are the family priest pastors do and, and as it were they're the, the devout one they they bring justice you know, and blamelessness and virtue and exemplary lives who become the exhorters are the ones in charge of discipline dads are the one you know in some houses they have it the other way mom but you know, our house was dad no doubt my dad was the discipline no doubt when I raised our kids who was going to discipline them and and but it's the father's I encourage fathers to, 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 to be those who discipline. But those who lay out the laws that were, and those who command. And, and such a loving balance, such a combination of care and leadership brings every faithful, those are the mark of every faithful pastor, and, and, and as well as every faithful parent. And certainly it was true of the Apostle Paul. He was like a loving parent who was consumed really with the process of nurturing uh, uh, his spiritual children to a place of real, he wanted them to come to maturity. And, and so, and here, back in, here in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 12, I'm so sorry, getting away from the text that long. 13. Oh, ah. So remember in Bible calls, Professor saying that he loved to hear the sound of pages of the Bible turning unless they were turning too long. Didn't like that sound. So, sorry, just a sip of water. But in chapter 12, verse 19 of 2 Corinthians, uh, down through chapter 13, verse 10, those, are, that kind of, those verses kind of bracket the passage in the middle, and his, his concern in there is, is for their upbuilding. And, and, and the faithful pastor is literally concerned as a main issue with, with the spiritual well-being of his children. And that, that's what consumes him. He's not, he's not career-oriented. He's not concerned about building a kingdom or building a church or building buildings or building a reputation. He's concerned about how many, not concerned about how many people attend the church necessarily. He's not concerned about those kind of things that are, that are peripheral. He's concerned the main issue is the spiritual well-being of his children. And he is consumed with their spiritual you know, maturation, their spiritual maturity, their spiritual growth. And as Paul brings us his, this letter, 2 Corinthians, to a close, he summarizes the elements contained within, it, with that, that, within that concern. That's his concern. If, if one is to grow spiritually, it has to do with sin in his life. And you know, Paul talked about the importance of repentance and discipline and authority. 
And you, and you see that there at the end of chapter 12 when he, call, he actually calls out the sins they were, they're, that they're guilty of. And in the beginning of chapter 13, he, Paul talked about repentance and discipline, authority. And then he talked about authenticity in verses you know, 5 and 6. Make sure you know you're saved. You should be a reprobate. And if one's going to grow, one has to be a spirit. One has to have a, a true spiritual. You have to be, if you're going to grow in Christ, you have to be in Christ. Yes. You have to be saved. Yes. So authentic, genu- genuinely a Christian. Anybody who's concerned about their child, you know, parent concerned about the child. Any father would have this. You know, as a dad, I had the same concerns. Or is my child saved? God, will you give me assurance this child's saved? Show me you know, the spiritual maturity that they're dealing with sin in their life and they're confessing it. And they're growing. And, and uh, you, I mean, you'd be concerned with that with your child, yourself, I'm sure, dealing with sin and his or her life and confessing that sin, repenting of that sin. And you'd be concerned about an appropriate amount of discipline uh, was brought to bear upon that child uh, to bring that child back to the path of righteousness. You'd be concerned that the child would understand the authority that God bears in their lives. This is what the Bible says, children, obey your parents in the Lord. You'll live long. It's God's promise. You'll live long. I've talked, I made sure each of my grandchildren and my great-grandchildren are going to know that. Secret to living long. First thing is obey your mommy and daddy. It's God's promise. And that's me, Grandpa, and their, and their little, little thing that I share with them. But there, there are two other things. Um, that that would that 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 are that should be a concern as your father, uh, also a concern as a pastor. The last two things uh, that a parent would be concerned about that are that are included in this passage, verses seven to nine. And one is obedience, and the other is integrity. Verse seven and nine. First obedience, and then integrity. Paul's concerned about the about repentance, discipline, authority, their authenticity. Are they really saved? And he's also concerned about their obedience and the, the integrity. And, and this is straightforward, simple, bottom line truth, we, which we're familiar with. And, and if, if we're familiar with the Word of God, so we're familiar with it. And, and uh, so first, the issue of obedience in verse 7, he says, Now I, I pray to God that you do no evil, not that we should appear approved, but that you, that you may do what is honest, even though we should be reprob- as reprobates. For we can do nothing against the truth, only for the truth. For we are glad, I mean, for we are glad when we when we are weak, but you are strong. I mean, the, so the second point is introduced in the same way. It says here in verse nine, it says, and, and this also we we wish, or the word should have been translated pray pray for. He's praying for two things: obedience and integrity. And and so. It has to be there. It's just the fact of life dealing with 2 Corinthians. The background is really colored as we went through. Everywhere in the passage, every text is colored with the presence of false teachers and false apostles. And they've come into the city of Corinth and they've confused the church and they've turned the church into, into, to, 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 to turn away, to part away from the apostle Paul. And the church has become enamored with these false teachers. 
and the false apostles who viciously attacked Paul. They denied that he spoke for Christ. They, they, they denied that he was a genuine apostle. They, they, preached, you know, they denied that he preached the truth of God. And the fact that people had come to the place where, according to verse 3 of chapter 13 here, they were actually seeking proof that, you know, Paul proved that Christ is speaking in you. Prove it to us. And, and they should have known that. They should have had enough contact with him through the mail, the letters he sent them. And, and, and uh, through you know, his letters and his second visit, they should have known that, but they were beguiled and deceived by, by, by false teachers. And they were asking again the question, did Christ really speak in Paul? Is he really God's spokesman? I mean, does he really give us the truth? And so he wrote this whole epistle to affirm his authority and his authenticity. And, and so they, they, they would, he wanted to remove any doubt or, or denial of it. He, he wrote it to the end, end of all, all discussion about whether he was a true apostle. Uh, he, he wanted the church to be sure of that, and he wanted the church to, to know he was real, he was genuine. And, and, and he spoke for God. He was a messenger of Jesus Christ. The minister and a message uh, were from the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and this whole epistle is a defense of that legitimacy, that reality. And so throughout the letter, he writes about his credentials as a true messenger of Christ, He's not trying to convince the, the, the false teachers or false apostles. He wasn't trying to convince the world of that. He's trying to convince the, you know, he's trying to assure the church of that. Because his reputation is being maligned in their presence. He's, he's very aware that if the church turns away from him, in, in effect, they turn away from the truth. And, and they turn away from Jesus. Because he is the minister for Jesus Christ. He's there to, that's all he spoke about, Jesus Christ and the cross. And he's, that's what he's there for so if they turn away from Christ because, I mean, you know, because he's the minister of Christ who speaks the truth, and the false apostles are, are liars who represent Satan, the, the false teachers represent the, the devil himself. Yes. This is serious stuff. And so you get the picture as you've gone through the book that Paul's reputation was an issue here, and the people needed to know he was genuine, and, and this is a crucial, really, feature of the apostle, the entire, I mean, epistle, the entire epistle. And, and, and this, this uh, passage really, it, it's re, it, it, to me, it's like, wow, it's remar remarkable. Uh, but but the, this passage, he says, he says, I, 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 I pray to God, or in verse 7, no, I pray to God that you uh, do no evil. Not that, we should, not, that, not that we should appear approved, but that you, you should do uh, that which is honest, that we be reprobates. Um, as important and as crucial and as essential as his reputation was to his ministry and to people trusting and believing what he said from God, came from God, and as critical as that was, he would set that aside in favor of their obedience to the Word of God. He was, he was preeminently not about himself being approved, but about their obedience to the Word of God. And so, they, so that they would do no, what, what is wrong, but that they would do what's right. A, a man's reputation is crucial. It is. But Paul, Paul's was crucial. It was important that people know he, was, he spoke the truth of God and spoke for God. And, and no man wants his reputation unfairly maligned. So, and, and so Paul, Paul was concerned that the church would know he's a real apostle. And, and he wasn't so concerned of what the, what, what the, about the world, but about the church. But even more than that, he was concerned about their spiritual well-being. And, and, and if it had to mean that he would not be approved, 
He'd rather have them do that and, and, and do what's right and obey, and obey the Word of God than, than to have some personal approval for himself. Uh, and it's really, it's really remarkable. I mean, if you, if you, want to, if you turn over to Romans 9, it, it kind of, Paul, Paul kind of brings this out really, really good, really well. Um, and this, I mean, he actually wrote Romans when he was there at Corinthians uh, for his third visit. He wrote Romans right after he, he sent this letter, 2 Corinthians. He wrote it from Corinth. And, and Romans 9, it's, it's really the only passage like it. Um, but 9.1 tells you a lot about the man. It says, I, I say the truth in Christ. Um, again, he's writing this from his third visit. Uh, you know, so he's, he's he said, I, I say the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience bearing me witness in the Holy Spirit or the Holy Ghost. Uh, that I have great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart. For I could wish that myself were a curse from Christ. And my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the, that my, for my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. Um, he says, he's saying, I wish I could, if I could, if I, if, if me going to hell, if you could take away my eternal salvation from me, and or these, they get saved, I'm not willing just to give up my life. I'm not willing just to give up, you know, to die, my, my flesh. I'm willing to give up my salvation if they'd be saved. I mean, that's saying a lot. I don't, I don't have that. I don't have that calling. But that's what he said. That's how deeply, and, I mean, that's how deep it meant to him that something that his brother could say. I, you know, it's one thing to say you sacrifice your health, your time, your, your, your earthly physical life, your pleasures. It's something else to say you give up eternal life and salvation. You can't do it, by the way. It's eternal life. That's why it's called eternal life. You have it. It's forever. But, but, but here we find him in 2 Corinthians 13. I'm sorry, I'll, I'll drop back there. I was going to say more about that, but I'm not. Um, and, and, and 2 Corinthians 13, he, his preeminent concern is not about himself, but it's about his spiritual children. His deepest longing was for the obedience of his church and his beloved church. And, and uh, if, if it meant that he had to go on appearing to be disqualified, uh, his, uh, which is the word reprobate, disqualified, I mean, if it, you know, that's what it means at the end of also verse 7, in the eyes of the outsiders, in the eyes of the world, in the eyes of the false apostles and false teachers, that's fine. As long as they are obedient to the truth. Yeah. <laughs> and it doesn't matter at all. So Paul, what Paul said, I'm praying for you not, uh, uh, that you do no wrong, you know, evil. And, and you know what? What's in my prayer? My prayer is that you repent. And, and he, called, he, he called them back in, in, in chapter 12, verse 20 and 21, it says, my prayer is that you deal with the sin in your life. My prayer is that you stop doing these wickedness and the sin. My prayer is that when I get there, this third visit, you're obedient. That's my prayer. And so he, now he demonstrates somewhat of his selflessness by, because he says as a result of that, we, that, we, that, we may, may, that we may appear, may appear approved, but it's not that we want to look good because we're apostles and look at the church we started. That's not the issue. Uh, uh, even though we be as you know, as we be unapproved, um, the false apostles were always saying Paul is weak, weak, weak. He doesn't have the persona, doesn't have the charm, he doesn't have the powerful personality. 
and he doesn't have that domineering stature. He doesn't have the, power, you know, the powerful, uh, impressive presence. He doesn't come in and command. He's just weak. In fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 3, he said, I came, I came, I came weak in fear and trembling and and, and uh, verse 4, he says, I disdain the use of words of man's wisdom. Every, everybody knew he was in prison, Paul. They knew he had been beaten continually. He was terribly persecuted, punished. The man, the man appeared weak. He seemed to be a failure, a miserable failure. I mean, always in and out of jail. I mean, everywhere he went, and the false teachers parked on that, and they loved to lift up the fact that Paul was so weak. And, and now the Corinthians uh, had been in sin, and, and, and Paul would have, you know, I, I mean, it, it, when he got there, if they were still in sin, he, he would come in with a rod, as he said in, in, in 1 Corinthians 4.21, to deal with that sin. That's, that's what he meant back in, in, in uh, verse 20 of chapter 21, when it said, you'll... you'll, you'll uh, if, when I come, you may you may not be what I wish, and 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 uh, and and uh, to be found by you, <laughs> you'll not be you're not going to want you're not going to wish for me to be the way that, that you're going to find me not the way you want. If you're not living right when I get there, you're not going to like me. Yeah. Uh, uh, I mean, I, I I want if 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 you if you want, I'll come with a rod. I'll come with discipline. And then then over in chapter 13, end, end of verse two, he says, "If I come again, I'll not spare anyone." So he says in verse two. Let's spare him. Back to my passage. A lot of the verses I write down on the notes because it's easier to, to read. Sometimes I do, sometimes I don't. It's when I don't that I get in trouble because my memory's bad. But um, in chapter first, chapter thirteen, verse two, he says, "If I come again, I'm not going to spare anybody. Anyone? If I come and I find sin, I'm taking out the rod, and we're going to deal with that sin, and, and uh, I'm going to come with authority." And, and, and those of you, says verse three, seeking proof of Christ, who speaks in me and is not, I mean, who is not weak towards you, but mighty in, in you, you're going, you're going to see it. And, and you want to see my authority, you want to see my power, you want to see Christ mightily in me. If I come and find sin, you're going to see that authority. And you, the power I'm going to come to punish I'm, is I'll come to discipline, and and I'll come to confront the sin right out. I'll come in and. Put a power display, and I'll show you the authority that Christ has given me to apply His truth to His church. You know, you know, in the flesh, our our, our humanness, uh, and, and you know, when we're just being massacred and maligned by others, our our character is being assassinated, and we're being ridiculed and mocked as a weakling and a man uh, with nothing to offer, with no great strength, no great person, not impressive. I mean, there might be something in this that says, you know, I'd, I'd like to put on display for these guys. You know, I'd like to show them just who I am. I'd like to, and somehow, if I can, but that, that's self-serving. And I mean, so rather, he says, then, then put on a display of my authority, which might elevate me in people's eyes in the world. Uh, and remove me from being unapproved to approved. Rather than putting on some display that's going to cause me to be approved, I'd rather pray to God that you do no evil, that you stop the sin. I mean, he didn't care whether in the eyes of the people he was approved or not approved. He didn't care what the world thought. You know, in 1 Corinthians 4, he said, it's, it's a small thing to me what men say about me. I don't care what men say about me. I don't care what people think about me. 
I only care what, I only care what the Lord says about me. Yes. And their, their godliness, their, dis, their obedience, if it came about, would preclude what, and would eliminate any necessity for Paul using his authority. If they're living right, he doesn't have to come in with a rod. And, and he might appear, you know, just to be weak as they thought he was. And there'd be no need, no need to exercise authority. But like a loving father, any loving father understands it. I mean, I, I, I think I kind of understand it. I, was, uh, I could have been a lot softer than I was. But I would rather that my children o- obey uh, than I would that they put on a, you know, that, than, I would, than I would have to put on a, a show of authority. I mean, and discipline. I mean, it's, it's a painful thing to do. Way back in chapter 2, Paul says, I, I don't even want to come if you're going to be sinful. I don't want to come. It's so sad. It's too powerful. It's too sinful. I mean, sorrowful. It's, it's painful. And, and so he said, I, I wrote to confront your sins in, in chapter 2, verse 4, in anguish of heart and tears. It hurt me just to confront their sin in a letter and to say nothing about having to go physically and personally and discipline them. You know, as a father, you, I don't know if you've given that line to your son, this hurts, you know, this hurts you more than me. Oh, did I say it wrong? That's the other way around, isn't it? Hurts me more than you. So if you're the loving father, that's how you feel about it. But if you really care about your son, it hurts you to discipline him. It's a painful thing. And if you care about your daughter, five daughters, you care about them. It hurts you to discipline. It's a painful thing. And you wish your child had ever needed that discipline because the child was obedient. And that's where Paul is. I don't. I don't need to put my authority on display, he's saying. I don't need to make a demonstration of authority for, for the sake of my own reputation. I, I'd far rather be, be, you be godly, and I don't care about if the outside people think I, I, that I do, do no, no evil or no wrong. Nothing could make Paul happier than to show up at the church, and the church would be pure, and he would have nothing to confront, and that would fulfill his desire to the pinnacle, really. That's what he's looking for. In and, 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 uh, Philippians 1, Paul says to the Philippians, again, that you're, he says, uh, that your love may abound yet more and more in real knowledge and all judgment. And, and verse 10, that, that, you, that you may approve the things that are excellent, that you may be uh, uh, sincere and, and without offense until the day of Christ, uh, uh, being filled with the fruit of the righteousness. And that's what Paul is after for the, for the Philippians was righteousness, goodness, blamelessness, godliness, holiness, he says, this is what I want, not, not that we ourselves may appear approved. I don't need to approve my authority, Paul said, by punishing you. I mean, I'd, I'd much rather uh, not, not need to punish you. I just want you to do what's right. And if I should appear unapproved, I mean, if, if, you, take, if you look at parent, parental control, and, and sometimes you see a father that's disciplining, so I say, wow, he's tough. He's firm on those young guys, you know. And boy, is, he's a strong disciplinarian. He, he whacks that kid around, yells at him, you know. Speaks firm to him. You might, might conclude that's a strong person. On the other hand, you might see a father who never puts his hand or, uh, on his child in a display. And, and you, might, you might conclude that, that's a weak father. Man. You, but a better test would be if you look at the child and the child is obedient. And the father may appear weak because he doesn't need to be strong like that. Where the child, you know, and... and, and uh, in terms of authoritative discipline, where the child is, is disobedient, then you have to take that role of, you know, upon yourself. It's not necessarily any evidence of weakness that, that you do not see parents spanking their kids. It's not a sign of weakness. 
I mean, that, that should be, it's probably done at the house. I'd recommend doing that at home, not in public. You know, but, but again, I, you know, having seven kids, I wouldn't know much about it. So we only had six. Um, but, it, it, you know, it, it could be a great testimony to the wondrous work of God in the heart of the child if they're obedient. I mean, our first daughter, she got saved very young, and you can see it in her life. She wanted to obey. I could trust her from the time she was six years old to obey. I was like, wow. Um, other kids, not so much, but her, absolutely. And so you didn't need to, you know, to show the outward discipline. You know, once you get over the, if you can get over the hump of wanting your children to be obedient because it helps your reputation, if you can get over that, a lot of parents want their children to be a certain kind of child because it enhances their reputation. I mean, my child's something other, other you know, it's, I always cringe at that. You ever see bumper stickers that my, my child is the, whatever it is, one or the other, my child is the student of the week or uh, student of the year or whatever. I can't always read all the fine print. But you know, I'm glad for the child to be student of the week, you know, but what does that have to do with your car? I mean, in fact, why, why don't you give your honor to whom honors do? Put the sticker on the kid's rear end. You know, put that sticker back there. The kid just says, I'm the student of the week. I don't, you know, again, I don't, somehow, you know, little, little league baseball, all that, where, I mean, all of a sudden, I mean, the parents of, the parents of kids in sport, young know, sports are terrible. The kids aren't, like, awful. So, you know, so we, we, we hopefully we're, we're filled with the spiritual well-being of our children, even if it has nothing to do with us. You, you know, that, 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 that a parent, from the outset, I would only have to discipline my child ever so infrequently to keep the child in line so they understand. Um, so that's what Paul, he said, I would rather appear weak than to appear strong because, you, because you've disciplined it. Paul says, I just want for your obedience I pray that you'll do what is not, not, not do what's wrong, evil, but that you do what's right. And, and he says in uh, 1 Corinthians 4, strong, strong language, he says, he says, we're weak, verse 10, we are without honor, we're both hungry and thirsty, we're slave, we're poorly clothed, we're roughly treated, we're homeless, we toil working with our own hands, we're reviled, we, and when we are, we bless, when we're persecuted, we endure it. We're slandered. We, we try to conciliate. We've become the scum of the world, the dregs or the offscouring of all things. That was Paul's selflessness. Uh, and that, that, that was all right. It, it, if he appeared weak to him, it was fine as long as his children were, were strong in the Lord. And, 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 and you know something, it's in our weakness, really, that God becomes strong through us. And, and, and so he, he learned that, and he wrote about that in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. He was a very selfless man, selfless shepherd, selfless parent, whose true and honest desire was that his children do what's right. And, and bef you know, before God, for his children's sake, not, not, for, not for the sake and the pride of Paul, the parent, or, or the reputation of Paul, the parent. You know, godly pastors are like parents, okay? They... They, they seek the spiritual obedience of, 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 the, of, of, of their parishioners, home children, even if, they, if, they, if the pastor may appear weak. But then in verse 8, Paul says, For we can do nothing against the truth, but only for the truth. Well, what does he mean by that? Well, first of all, the truth is used twice in the verse. 
and uh, the word, truth, and it, re it refers to the revelation of the gospel of Jesus Christ from justification through sanctification to glorification and, and the whole, whole of God's revelation and, and that, that, that the message that comes from God, scriptures, the scriptures, if you're obeying the truth, you can do nothing against that. So we can't put on some big authoritative display, is what he's saying. And, and, and I, if, you're, if you're doing what's right, if you're obeying the truth of God's word, then and I can't come in with some kind of a confident, confrontive show of authority and punishment. Well, he, I mean, he would do it if he needed to. And the letter that he wrote in First Corinthians letter, he really went after that man who was having the affair with his father's wife. Remember that? First Corinthians chapter 5. He told the church to throw him out of the church, discipline him. And, and then when he wrote to Timothy, 1 Timothy 1.20, he talked about Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom Paul himself punished and put out of the church and turned them over to the devil, to Satan. That's what he says. And, and if needed, he could act. But if, if they were all obedient and all living the truth of the word of God, then he could do nothing against that. And they were all obedient. But by, you know, by, by nothing, he simply means that he could put on no display of authority. And, and uh, I mean, there would be no discipline, no punishment, you know. And another, he could act for the truth in behalf of the truth. I mean, it, to, I mean, to rejoice is, is it, it's being honored by the Corinthians. It's, it was his passion for them to to, love, to serve the Lord. Desire of his heart was to it was to come and find his people obedient to the word, so so that he would not have to go against them, but but could come come and line up alongside of them and fellowship with them. Well, we're going to have to unhook the wagon. But you wonder what you know? Do you, you know what happened when he got there? What's the end of the story? What, he's going to go there. What happened when he got there? Yeah. I'll try and share some of that next week. Thanks for letting me share with you. They were obedient, by the way. <laughs>